Michigan inexcusably falls to Sparty 27 to 24. Lots to unpack from this game in Ann Arbor this past Saturday. And then we'll move onward. Michigan on the road at Indiana looking to win for a 25th straight time. We'll preview the game with John Blau from the Herald Times in Bloomington from an Indiana perspective. Get you some weekly picks and a whole lot more. It's all coming up on this week's edition of Hail to the Pod. edition of Hail to the Pod. I'm your host, Kevin Rich. As always, you can email the show at hailtothepod at gmail.com. Tweet me at krich23 and download and subscribe to the podcast everywhere your favorite podcasts are found, including Apple iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. If you like the show, please leave a five-star review and be sure to subscribe as well. That way, every time there is a new episode, it will get downloaded directly to your favorite podcast platform. Well, life is filled with highs and lows, my friends. (laughs) And after the ultimate high and feeling of bliss of Michigan dominating Minnesota two weeks ago, what do they do for an encore? They crush us just like how 2020 has crushed us all year by inexcusably losing to Sparty in the big house by a score of 27 to 24. I mean, talk about a Jackal and Hyde experience. Michigan comes out. They dominate Minnesota across the board. You put up 49 points. You left points on the board with the missed field goals. You have a quarterback in Joe Milton that looks like the next coming of Cam Newton. The offensive line, they debut four starters. They make huge holes. The receivers playing fast. The secondary, which we feared, could maybe not be that good this year. They keep a soon-to-be NFL first-rounder in Rashad Bateman out of the end zone. They don't give up any big plays to him. And then Saturday rolls around. The offensive line plays terrible. The receivers were limited to slot plays up the middle, nothing deep. No running game whatsoever. And the secondary, they didn't play down. They just got flat out destroyed by the Spartan passing attack. I mean, how, how does that happen after the performance the week before? And sadly, I'll tell you how it happened. Yeah, there was terrible officiating. There's no doubt about it. And I don't know what's more spooky on Halloween than getting called for a penalty that no one's ever heard of. I mean, disconcerting signals? What the hell is that? And you kind of got a sense that when that happened, the game was going to be a struggle. But the problem is, it didn't have to be. As bad as the officiating was on Saturday, it shouldn't have come down to that. Michigan didn't lose the game because of poor officiating. They lost the game because they were outcoached and they were outplayed. And that was the problem on Saturday. Not the officiating. Teams should be able to overcome poor officiating in games like that, especially when they're three touchdown favorites. But you can't overcome it when you get outcoached. And you can't overcome it when you get outplayed. And that is what was so frustrating about the game on Saturday. It was one of the worst losses for Michigan in quite some time. I mean, upsets happen. Good teams get upset. But for Michigan to lose to that team, and I'm not trying to take anything away from Michigan State. This isn't like a locker room bulletin board material uh, calling out Michigan State. Hats off to Mel Tucker. They got an A+. Him and that coaching staff and those players coming into the big house and pulling the upset that they did on Saturday, hats off to them. But Michigan got outcoached and Michigan got outplayed. 
and they shouldn't have. Not to a new coaching staff at Michigan State. That is the issue with the game on Saturday. So when you look at it, in terms of getting out coached, there are several instances in that game to look at. On offense, where was the RPO? Where was that offense that dominated Minnesota, the team that only had to punt the ball once in that game uh, uh, two Saturdays ago? That team moved the ball with ease. They did everything they wanted to in that game offensively, and it was because of the RPO, the pin and the pull, the fakes, the movement. They did so many great things in that game against Minnesota, the threat of Joe Milton being able to do stuff with his legs just as much as doing stuff with his arms. And I'm sure, I mean, I think we can... And we can come to find uh, after the way Minnesota played last week against Maryland that maybe Minnesota is just terrible this year, or at least on defense. But also, those things that worked so well for Michigan in that game, they just didn't even try and execute in this game on Saturday. Now, some of it was because Michigan State was impressive in the pass rush and getting to Joe Milton and making it hard for a young quarterback. But Michigan didn't even attempt to do any of the things that made them successful in the Minnesota game. And they were outcoached in that capacity offensively. And also, what the heck are you doing with the Wildcat on second and third and goal in the second quarter? You desperately need a score. What the heck was that? I mean, Michigan was having a tough time in that first half getting down the field. You got that sense midway through the second quarter that that game on Saturday was going to be a game that every point you could get on the board would matter and that touchdowns were going to be way more important than field goals. They get bailed out on a pass interference call. They rattle off three or four great plays in a row, get some momentum. They get inside the five-yard line and they do that? It didn't work on second down. Why are you trying again on third? I get it was a gadget play. Thank God it didn't get intercepted. But why are you running that? You have a mobile quarterback, a quarterback that can scramble out of the pocket. The amount of plays in your playbook that are available to you because of the dynamic ability of your quarterback with his feet. And oh, by the way, he's the quarterback. He can throw the ball too. Why even take a risk like that? Michigan ends up leaving four points on the table because of that play. And oh, by the way, they lost by three. That was a critical misstep in that game on Saturday by the coaching staff. And I know Josh Gaddis was on a sports show in Ann Arbor this week uh, where he you know, called in and they were talking about the play and he said, if it works, it's a, you know, a great play. But why even try that? Why even take that gamble? Why have a running back throw a terrible pass to your fourth string tight end? That was a brain-numbing coaching decision. Brain-numbing. Michigan got out-coached. And defensively, we knew we could have some challenges in the secondary this year with Ambry Thomas opting out. Uh, We knew that, you know, Vincent Gray, we actually thought was going to be the better of the corners. Uh, Fortunately for Michigan, uh, Jermaine Green has been playing uh, pretty well uh, for the Wolverines. But Vincent Gray was struggling in that game. And this is on the coaching staff because you got to make – A decision here. You got to make a personnel adjustment. And Michigan's coaches didn't make that personnel adjustment until late in the game. That's when they brought in Perry. And when Perry was being left out on an island and struggling as well, they made no schematic change to the defense. They did nothing to adjust on the fly to try and take away that edge that Michigan State was getting. And I'm not a defensive coordinator, so it's it's not as easy as me sitting here and telling you that this is what they should have done. But for the coaching staff, that has been together for quite some time now, going up against a brand new coaching staff, you cannot, you cannot get out-coached like that. Not to a team 
that has a brand new coaching staff coming in and rebuilding a program. We talked about this with Graham Couch from the Lansing State Journal last week. Mark D'Antonio should have left that team two years ago. He left Mel Tucker with very little pieces. Having to go out and recruit players after D'Antonio quit right before signing day. If you're the Michigan coaching staff, you just can't get outcoached by that staff on the other sidelines. Not when you're a three-touchdown favorite like you were in the game on Saturday. And I get it. Upsets happen. You can expect every once in a while that your heavily favored team is going to get knocked off. It happens. It's football. But Kirk Ferentz wasn't on the other sideline. Pat Fitzgerald wasn't on the other sideline. James Franklin, well, he's a bad example because (laughs) my right pinky could probably make a less brain-numbing coaching decision than he does in big games. But what I'm getting at is even if Mel Tucker is the next Nick Saban, you cannot get outcoached the way Michigan did on Saturday. And this isn't a referendum on Jim Harbaugh, not for me at least. All we had to hear all week was the media ripping on Harbaugh after the same media talked him up after the Minnesota game. I think every time I went on social media this week, I got served an ad, (laughs) like literally served an ad about here are the next coaches Michigan should go after. This is why Jim Harbaugh should get uh, canned. There's no substance in any of that. Nothing that the media threw out there this week. I just, I don't listen to it. It doesn't have substance. If you don't feel like Michigan can get it done under Harbaugh, that's your opinion. If you feel like he can get it done, that's your opinion too. But so much of this stuff that was spewed this week was all about Harbaugh's not getting the job done. They got to let him go. Well, who's going to do a better job than him? No one gets into that. None of these uh, you know, media folks out there um, that are writing these articles talk about that. They just say he's overpaid and he can't beat Ohio State and he struggles in these games. Isn't that every other coach in the SEC going up against Alabama right now? Isn't that every other coach in the ACC going up against Clemson? I mean, whatever. I'm not happy about what happened on Saturday, but blowing out the head coach or anyone on this coaching staff two games into the season in this ridiculous year when they may not even play a full eight games and anything could still happen, it's just asinine. What I do think is extremely important here, though, is how this team comes out in the game on Saturday. How does this team, these players and this coaching staff, how do they respond this week? Because the Big Ten Championship is still in play. There's no margin of error. And whether you're on the Harbaugh bandwagon or not, let's wait another week. Let's wait to see how the rest of this season plays out before making that decision. Does this team buy into the coaching staff? Does the coaching staff get buy-in from the players? A big part of how the rest of the season is going to go and how the coaching staff will be looked at will be how Michigan goes out and performs this coming Saturday. Yes, they inexcusably got outcoached in a game they were massive favorites in against a brand new coaching staff, and that was painful on Saturday. But let's see what happens this weekend. The last thing I want to make a point on about the game on Saturday is I was shocked, as I'm sure you were, to see Michigan get beat in the trenches the way they did on Saturday. It was hard to watch the defense on Saturday. Not so much because of the struggles in the secondary, but the fact that they couldn't get any pressure on Rocky Lombardi. I mean, they got no pressure on him whatsoever. You'd think a defense with Pay and Hutchinson and Kemp and McGrone, Josh Ross, Michael Barrett, you'd expect those guys to get at the quarterback and they were unable to do so. That was a major shocker on Saturday. I think on the other side of the ball, the offensive line for Michigan, maybe not as big of a shocker, but it was a disappointment. 
We knew Michigan State had some playmakers on defense, but Sparty was consistently getting into that Michigan backfield and supplying constant pressure on Joe Milton. So in addition to getting outcoached on Saturday, Michigan just flat out got outplayed. And seeing them get beat in the trenches was a bit demoralizing on Saturday. So in the end, where do you go from here? As I mentioned earlier, I think we're going to learn a whole heck of a lot about this football team this coming Saturday. What this young team does on Saturday is important. Was this a team that simply read their press clippings going into the game against Michigan State last week and needed to get embarrassed and humbled like they did to turn things around and move forward? Or is this a young football team that isn't as good as we were hoping they would be? And that is where the coaching staff will have to answer a lot of questions if they come out flat or they get flat out outplayed and outcoached again this Saturday against Indiana. Very, very important game for the Maize and Blue this Saturday. All right, and as we get ready for the big game in Bloomington on Saturday, it's my pleasure to bring in John Blau from the Herald Times. You can read all his great work at HoosierTimes.com. Find him on Twitter at John underscore Blau. That's B-L-A-U. John, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great, and uh, things must be uh, pretty good uh, out in Bloomington, Indiana, uh, starting the year uh, 2-0. and uh, People pretty optimistic, pretty uh, pretty happy out there? Yeah, I would say they are. Obviously, it was a nail-biter with the first one. Uh, the, the reach they're calling it now with Mike Penix for the pylon, and, and that was that was uh, some hysteria. And then obviously Rutgers made things a little interesting last week with you know the multiple multiple laterals <laughs> that ended up not counting. Uh, but yeah, I mean obviously two wins and to be two and zero at this point in the season playing Michigan, I think fans have to be pretty happy with where the Hoosiers are at right now. Yeah, I, uh, I switched over after uh, Michigan's inexcusable loss to Michigan State uh, to uh, to catch uh, your game and uh, that that Rutgers lateral play I, I, that was incredible. I know it didn't end up counting, and at that point, I don't know that that would have necessarily got him in a position to come back and win the game. But uh, what was crazier, the the reach or that play? Oh man, that's, that's a tough one. I mean, I would say the reach just because of the consequences, like you said, it didn't actually end up counting. Uh, the lateral play, but in terms of the the lateral play, I mean, there's an offensive lineman who literally threw it behind his head without looking 15 yards back and actually hit one of his guys. And I mean, that that may be more incredible in terms of like a feat of skill. Uh, I know <laughs> it probably wasn't actually skill; it was just you know accident or whatever. But uh, I would say the play, the, the lateral play, if we're just talking about sheerly the play itself, uh, obviously the reach. If we're talking about like the the most uh, magnificent kind of meaningful play. So, yeah, so let, let's talk about that. I mean, Indiana, you know, I think about this uh, in terms of how big of a win that was against Penn State because, you know, Indiana has been a, a competitive team, especially lately, and it just seems for whatever reason, you know, against some of the kind of perennial, you know, stronger teams in the Big Ten East, the Ohio States, the Penn States, the Michigans, it's like Indiana – has played these great games and, and taken a lot of these games to the wire. And obviously we'll talk about, you know, Michigan in a second because it seems Indiana always gives Michigan a great a great shot. How, how big was that win? I mean, that like to get over the hump and, and beat Penn State the way that they did, uh, how, how big of a victory was that for Indiana? And, and also with that, how big was that play? I mean, is that one of the best plays that will ever go down in Indiana history? Yeah, I mean, in terms of the meaning of, of the win, uh, I, I think in terms of beating team, it, it was important to be able to do that. Like you said, I mean, I was given Michigan 
a run a few times. They gave Penn State a run last year on the road. Uh, Ohio State uh, really hasn't been the case, I guess, in the last year or so. But uh, beating that echelon of team was really important because if you ask Tom Allen, the head coach for IU, he would tell you that even last year was when they started not falling on their faces as much, which was a very Indiana thing to do, um, even against teams like Maryland or a team like Nebraska or whatever. But on the road at Maryland, they ended up pulling out a win that, that they would usually find a way to find a way to lose. Uh, they did the same thing with Nebraska last year. Uh, they won an overtime game with Purdue. That they seem to be building experiences of coming up clutch and winning games in the clutch. And uh, that seemed to carry over this year. And, and like I said, just into a different echelon against teams like Penn State, which is, you know, uh, if you're if you're IU, you're hoping that maybe you, you leap over Michigan State this year. You're kind of now nipping at the heels of those bigger dogs in the Big Ten East. Uh, you showed you can knock one of them off, which is absolutely uh, pivotal. Uh, and in terms of the reach, I mean, I, I don't have the entire catalog of IU greatest <laughs> plays in my head just because I uh, – I'm actually from New Jersey. I, I went to school at Penn State. Uh, I've been covering this beat for a few years now, but I don't have them all stacked up. But, I mean, that has, that's that got to be up there. Um, I know Antoine Randall made some plays with his feet uh, when he was the quarterback uh, back in the day. But uh, that, that's one of the greatest just because of the meaning of it in terms of who they beat and how they did it. So. That's definitely going to be in the top five somewhere, I would think. Yeah, it's going to be a picture of that reach uh, by uh, Michael Penix Jr. will be uh, a picture that will be framed and uh, donned in a lot of uh, businesses uh, and homes uh, in the Bloomington area and and alums that don't live in Bloomington anymore uh, for many years to come. Uh, We're talking to John Blau from the Herald Times. Great work he does at HoosierTimes.com. And uh, John, you know, this game on Saturday, um, really interesting because – you know, Michigan's coming in after, uh, uh, as I mentioned before, an inexcusable loss, I think, to, to Michigan State. I mean, to get uh, outcoached and outplayed in that game was was quite a shocker. And Indiana comes in off a lot of momentum. They've got the 13th ranking in the country, best since 1987. You know, Michigan's won 24 straight games against Indiana, 39 of the last 40. What do you, you know, going into this one, like what's the psyche of the team, uh, a team that's, that's really, from what you've heard and, and seen with press conferences and being involved with the team this week, you know, what's their mindset going into a game where they're riding a lot of momentum, but also have that big number in front of them in terms of the the consecutive losses to Michigan? Yeah. I mean, I think this is probably pretty obvious, but uh, they're talking as if they're not really worried about it. Obviously uh, Tom Allen's whole phrase at the beginning of the week uh, that he said was that, you know, we talk about how the, the past is not predictive. Um, so obviously if the past is predictive, IU would, absolutely lose this game. They've lost the last 24. Uh, they've lost 39 in the last 40. Um, actually, it was back in 87 when IU was ranked that high was the last time they beat Michigan. Uh, they are actually ranked higher than Michigan, which is, you know, kind of a bizarro world in terms of how it's been the last few decades. But, uh, it, yeah, I mean, I, I think they're trying to obviously focus on everything other than uh, what has happened in the past. Obviously, that's what they say. You, you can't really tell what's actually in their heads in terms of, um, you know, what they believe in terms of what's going to happen. Is, is there going to be some kind of relapse where you're worried about this is a team we can't beat, we've never beaten them, we just can't seem to beat them. Uh, but at the end of the day, you talked about it, uh, IU has given Michigan a run a few times. I mean, not last year. Last year was not close at all. Um, but they have had moments where they've been close with Michigan, and I think being close with teams – 
again, like I said, in that top three in the Big Ten East and then finally knocking one off like Penn State, you would think that that would be a powerful kind of uh, boost going into a game like this, knowing that you did play one of those teams that you could barely ever beat, and you beat them, um, so you can do it again against a team like Michigan. So I think they're confident. I think they're trying not to project overconfidence. At the same time, I think they're also trying to just you know, leave the past where it is and just see where they're at You know, this weekend, just be in the moment, I guess. Yeah, I think there were uh, definitely, because I know that was kind of my mindset after Indiana knocked off Penn State, there was kind of that relief in, in Ann Arbor and, and with Michigan fans like, phew, okay, they got that monkey off their back against Penn State uh, better them than us. But uh, how much, uh, you know, when you look at it, uh, obviously I want to talk about the, the players that will be on the field on Saturday, but, you know, when you when you look at getting an edge and, and getting your players prepared for a game, how important is it for Indiana to have an offensive coordinator in Nick Sheridan, who obviously played at Michigan, and Mike Hart, who had one of the best uh, freshman seasons ever uh, at Michigan. How how important is that for the team to have guys like Nick and Mike that, you know, have uh, played for Michigan and, and you know, kind of know obviously different coaching staffs uh, at Michigan now, but uh, know what that program's all about? Yeah, I mean, I think they know what the Big Ten's all about. I mean, they know what uh, what the conference is all about and, and how important games like this are. They obviously know the tradition of, of Michigan and, and what they're all about, and I'm sure they're reiterating that a little bit to their team. Um, Nick Sheridan, obviously, like you said, is, is now the offensive coordinator in his first year. Uh, he was actually sharing some Michigan stories the other day talking about how he was a walk-on quarterback and, he actually had to play like scout team fullback at times and he was getting his like neck pushed in by Lamar Woodley on the edge, like in practice. Um, so he's, he's definitely uh, had some interesting experiences. He was talking about that more in the context of you know, being able to relate to his players and tell them, you know, what it's like to be a player and the ups and the downs and the things like that. But um, he's an interesting guy in terms of, you know, he's, he's learning how to be a play caller um, Tom Allen obviously believes he's a really sharp young mind. He, he thought he might as well, you know, promote him to offensive coordinator himself rather than have Nick Sheridan run off somewhere else to get his experience as an offensive coordinator. Um, Tom Allen does this. He, he likes to give younger coaches lots of uh, opportunities. And so Nick Sheridan got the offensive coordinator role. Mike Hart is actually the assistant head coach. Um, so he has both those guys in very prominent roles, uh, very important for uh, the IU program, but yeah, uh, there haven't been any specific comments about their time, uh, you know, at Michigan saying they want to beat Michigan or anything like that. More just, you know, sharing some uh, light stories, I guess Nick Sheridan did, but um, it definitely does add an interesting element, I guess, to the game that, that those two guys are on the sideline for IU. Yeah, absolutely. I think one thing that gets overlooked here is, you know, there there's, there's some good quarterbacks in the Big Ten, but, you know, you got a quarterback in Michael Penix Jr. He's 7-1 he's and one as a starter, Obviously, we saw a, a, a monumental play for the program in terms of um, you know what he did uh, against Penn State to to win that game. How important is he to this team? It, it just it seems to me that when Michael Penix Jr. is going, this team goes with him. Yeah, he, he's just he's special when he's on fire. Um, which uh, the game versus Penn State, the very you know first three and a half quarters, he was not really on fire and, and that's a little bit of a thing you would expect because you know he was injured and out for the year uh, November 2nd of 2019 to Northwestern and then he goes almost an entire year without playing until he obviously gets out there again 
Um, and he was not sharp at all, but then he, you know, turned it on in the, the last minute 42 of regulation, obviously overtime to win it. And when he's on, he's just, he's got such a rocket left arm that he can zip things in there that you would think the window is gone, that he, that he missed his opportunity, but he can blast it in there uh, before a corner can actually uh, kind of pick it off or do whatever he wants to do with it. Um, he has the legs to run if he wants to, but he, he does not like to run. He likes to sit back there as much as possible, uh, scan the field, uh, get the ball out. And, and that really continued into uh, Rutgers week. I mean, uh, he only completed three out of his first 10 passes, but there were about six drops in there. Uh, at times, it seemed like these receivers weren't prepared to catch the ball because it just was coming at them so fast because uh, he throws the ball so hard. Uh, you can learn uh, a little bit when it comes to touch. Uh, but he, he's just very, very special in terms of arm, arm talent, in terms of composure. Uh, if you talk to any of his coaches, uh, they'll tell you he's the calmest quarterback you've ever met. Nothing rattles him at all. Um, he obviously had all those injuries last year and he seems to be, you know, back on track. He at least looked like, looked like it at Rutgers. Uh, and he can make game changing plays. So I think the hope is just like he did at the very end of the Penn State game that you put him in a game against Michigan and he's going to have some game changing plays. It can put you over the top against a program like that. Yeah, and speaking of going over the top, I mean, he's got a trio of, of pass catchers. I think a Wap Fillier and Ty Freifogel and, and the tight end Hendershot is pretty darn good uh, as well. I mean, it seems to me just what Michigan State did to Michigan in the air on Saturday. Uh, I know Indiana struggled a bit in the running game, which is a bit of a su- uh, surprise. I know Stevie Scott, um, you know, everyone in, in Bloomington feels pretty good about him. Is Is that – you know, more of, you know, things have been working through the air and they feel confident they can beat teams in the air? Or is this kind of a statement like we got to get the running game going? We don't feel like we can continue to, to, to carry the team with, with um, the ball in the air. Yeah, no, Nick Sheridan talked about this. Obviously, you start the season um, in late October, we're already in November. Uh, you're going to have to be able to run the football better than IU has been. Uh, the weather's only going to get colder and you can't be passing the entire time out in, you know, 10-degree temperatures or IU, like you said, they do have Stevie Scott, uh, they have Samson James, but they are replacing two uh, starting interior offensive linemen, uh, Hunter Littlejohn, their center is no longer there, uh, Simon Stepanak with the draft pick of the Packers in the sixth round, he's no longer there at guard, uh, so they moved Harry Kreider to center, uh, who was their left guard last year, and they're still trying to figure out uh, between a redshirt freshman, Mike Kadick, and a uh, uh, grad transfer from Stanford, Dylan Powell, uh, and then Mackenzie Wara over on the right side, who's really going to be those starting guards. And it seems like at times they just haven't been able to be quite gelled as an offensive line, uh, that sometimes they're, they're just getting beat. Uh, off the ball, actually, a guy at Dwum Four, who you should know, up in Michigan, yep. uh, for Rutgers, was absolutely uh, just crushing them on the inside last week and making it really hard to run. Uh, but Nick Sheridan has talked about, yeah, we have to do a better job as coaches of uh, finding ways to get the run game going. Uh, whether that's, you know, picking their spots better in terms of the count in the box, uh, the quarterbacks maybe, uh, Michael Penix, I guess, making the, the calls at the line, the checks to, to find the running lanes and where they're going to be, and then the running backs doing a better job of hitting the hole. Uh, they definitely do have to get that uh, part of the game going. It, it just hasn't seemed to really be there on a consistent basis, and that could be the offensive line, that could be play calls, but they're definitely concerned about it and something they want to get going. 
Yeah, absolutely. We're talking to John Blau from the Herald Times. Uh, great work he does at HoosierTimes.com. You can check it out there. Uh, John, on, on the other side of the ball, um, from my, my takeaways in, in watching Indiana's games against uh, Penn State and Rutgers, it, it seems you know maybe some struggles here or there uh, against the rush, but the, the, the passing defense uh, has been pretty strong. What, what have you seen from the defense uh, in, in terms of what's been working well and, and what you feel they're, they're going to need to improve on when they play Michigan on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, the, the secondary, uh, this has been written recently by a few publications, it's probably the, the best secondary they've had in a while. Um, they're they're all coming into their own, really. Uh, Jalen Williams is a, is a junior corner. Uh, you have Taiwan Mullen, who's kind of the star of the group. He, he emerged as a freshman last year. He's now a sophomore. They have two safeties that are both juniors who played a lot of sophomores. Uh, Jamar Johnson and Devon Matthews, uh, they, they seem to have hit another level as a group, which is really exciting for IU, just in terms of all the things they can do just in coverage, but then also Taiwan Mullen last week had two and a half sacks, uh, blitzing him off the edge and doing things like that. Uh, it's a very talented group there. Uh, but honestly, uh, you talk about the running game, but the, the defensive line for IU has gotten a lot better too. Um, that was a unit that really lacked you know, depth, they felt like, coming into last season, but they found some of it uh, with the junior college defensive tackle to Marcus Elliott. Um, uh, C.O. Nopo Ongatatoa, uh, with that beautiful last name. <laughs> He's a great player. And, uh, defensive tackle as well. Uh, they seem to be holding their own better in the trenches, which allows the secondary, uh, to do some of the things they do, uh, because they're not you know, taking forever to get a rush. Actually, one of the interceptions last week was, uh, because C.O. Nopo, it's kind of the shortened version of it, uh, got a push and got the Vigil and, uh, made him kind of toss an errant ball up. Um, it's a it's a it's a group that you know seems to have a lot of balance, a lot of really good young players in a lot of different places. They can bring pressure. Uh, they're they're going to bring pressure a lot, um, and and they're really you know able to create takeaways because of the pressure they bring. I mean, uh, Jamar Johnson has had you know, some picks. So is Jalen Williams, um, and they've been able to force some fumbles and make some other plays. They're definitely uh, a very active defense. That's uh, something you're going to have to be concerned about if you're a Michigan fan. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, sometimes in these games, uh, particularly when we've seen Indiana play Michigan, you know, really tough uh, over uh, the last couple seasons. Uh, I mean, gosh, other than the game last year, uh, I think the, the two meetings uh, before that uh, went, um, well, it was a game in 2017 and the game in 2015 um, that both went uh, into overtime. But in close games like that, a lot of times, you know, special teams uh, can dictate the play. I saw that the, the kicker, Charles Campbell, earned some Big Ten special teams uh, player of the week honors. I think Indiana feels pretty good if, if this comes down to, to a kick at the end of the game. Uh, they feel pretty good they've got a kicker that can get it done, right? Yeah, yeah. They have pretty good specialists in Charles Campbell. It was actually a first your starter, the first year as number one kicker, a Logan Justice was the was the starter last year. Charles Campbell, though, is a former U.S. Army All-American uh, type kicker. Uh, he's a, he's really accurate. He's five and five on the season. Uh, they think he can extend beyond 50 yards, and he is a guy who can can make some deep kicks. Uh, they believe uh, Hayden Whitehead is an Australian punter. Uh, he's pretty good in terms of his accuracy, coffin corner stuff. There have been some uh, miscues, though, in special teams for IU, which they really, really have to get cleaned up. Um, they had one mistake against Penn State where uh, Jared Smolar, their kickoff specialist, was supposed to be a power swim at the end of the game, ended up looking like an onside kick, and he just totally mishit the ball. Uh, gave Penn State the ball uh, at about midfield, 22 seconds left, gave them a chance to kick a field goal that could have won the game in regulation. Uh, they have to clean that up. And then against Rutgers, 
there was an onside kick that Rutgers had that actually led to that lateral fest um, that IU couldn't recover. And uh, IU's had problems with the onside kick in, in the bowl game versus Tennessee last year at the Gator Bowl. Uh, they gave up an onside kick that led to a second consecutive Tennessee touchdown and in about a minute or two ended up losing the game by one point. So uh, special teams wise, yeah, if, if there's a kick, uh, I think IU feels pretty good about it that they're going to be able to make it. Uh, but there are some other things on the periphery there in terms of special teams that they, they have to get cleaned up. That, that could lose you a game against a team like Michigan. John, it's the year 2020, so making predictions, uh, you know, always always a lot of fun, but it, it makes our jobs fun. As we kind of look at the game on Saturday, you know, maybe a little prognostication. Uh, you're looking at, um, you know, this game on Saturday. What, what do you think is going to happen? You know, how do you think the game's going to play out for Indiana? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's a tough call. Um, I remember going into the Penn State game and thinking you had a chance, but as it happened so long that I didn't really feel – I could I could pick IU to win. I remember uh, actually it was Penn Live out in, in Harrisburg in Pennsylvania asked me to predict. I think I said like 27-24 Penn State or something like that. Um, again, because of the 24 straight losses, I don't I don't think if I'm picking, I'm gonna pick IU necessarily. But I I obviously think they can win. Um, but I would probably say something along the lines of. Uh, say like 35, 31 or something like that, Michigan, and see where it goes. John, one last one for you here. Uh, you know, obviously we've been monitoring, you know, you always monitor injuries, but, you know, now this year we have to monitor or monitor the, uh, you know, the COVID-19 situation and all that. Um, you hearing anything this week in terms of any maybe significant injuries or, you know, maybe anyone that might be out of this game? Yeah, we don't we don't hear specifically in terms of COVID if, if an athlete has it, they would give us those updates if there were, but we don't have any update on in terms of COVID numbers. I, I don't think there's much going on there for IU in terms of an outbreak. Obviously, there's in terms of injuries. Uh, Miles Marshall uh, is one of IU's top receivers. He was knocked out uh, from from a targeting call in the Penn State game. He actually missed the Rutgers game using concussion protocol. So we'll see if he's back. Uh, David Ellis, who's kind of a running back receiver, kick returner. Um, a really special talent, versatile talent offensively uh, that IU wants to use in multiple ways. Uh, he, he's missed both games, uh, the Penn State and the Rutgers game with a lower leg injury. Uh, we'll see if he's available. I'm not sure yet about him. Uh, and then also Matthew Bedford, uh, the left tackle, or it's actually the right tackle, it's the one protect, protecting the blind side of Michael Penix. Uh, he would, seemed a little hobbled at the end of the Rutgers game, but we haven't heard anything about him actually being out. Uh, definitively or not. Uh, so that may have just been a small thing that we noticed that may be nothing. But uh, those are the three guys that I'd be watching uh, to see if they're available or not for IU. John, can't thank you enough for the time. Uh, of course, uh, John Blau from the Herald Times. You can read his great work at HoosierTimes.com. Find him on Twitter at John underscore Blau. That's B-L-A-U. Uh, John, appreciate the time uh, here today and uh, enjoy the game on Saturday. I right, appreciate it. Thanks, Kevin. Great stuff there from John Blau, and it's time to go rapid fire. Give you my straight-up picks and quick observations for each Big Ten game on the Saturday slate, and then I will get you my four-pack of picks for the week against the spread. Six games in the conference, all being played on Saturday. As you know by now, the Purdue at Wisconsin game has been canceled uh, due to the COVID-19 situation impacting the Wisconsin program. Going to be really interesting to see what develops next week as Wisconsin's next scheduled tilt is against Michigan next Saturday. That game's scheduled for ABC, a 7.30 game under the lights in primetime. 
Two Big Ten games at noon on Saturday besides our game against Indiana. Michigan State heads to Iowa. Iowa is a surprising 0-2 on the year. Sparty looking to beat Iowa for a fourth consecutive time. Now on paper, that sounds incredible given how poorly Michigan State has played the last two seasons. But then you look and see that the last time they played was in 2017. Michigan State a much better team back then. And wouldn't it just be typical Sparty to fall flat after their huge upset win against Michigan last week? You know it's going to happen. I'm giving it to Iowa. Iowa is going to beat Michigan State. Nebraska at Northwestern. These guys play each other tough every single year. The last two games have ended in walk-off field goals. Nebraska karma has not been their friend. Give me the Wildcats. Two games in the 330 slate, Minnesota at Illinois. Minnesota, please make us feel better and win this game and maybe hold Illinois to two scores and 200 yards. I mean, it's not a lot to ask. Your defense can't be that bad. Make us feel better. Row the boat, Gophers. Give me Minnesota. Then the other 330 game is Maryland at Penn State. And just remember, there is a team that had big expectations this year in the Big Ten East that isn't named Ohio State and isn't named Michigan. And that is the winless 0-2 Penn State Nittany Lions. Now, one thing we do know, Minnesota's defense, as we just talked about, terrible. Penn State's just a bit better than Minnesota. Penn State should have their way with Maryland. I will take the Nittany Lions. And the 7.30 game, not much to talk about here. Rutgers at Ohio State. The Buckeyes have won 14 straight Big Ten games by double digits. This will be an easy number 15. All right, let's get to the picks for the week. Last week's picks went 2-2. Two and two, Hit with Coastal Carolina, America's sweetheart, and Purdue. Fell short with Oklahoma State and Georgia. Oklahoma State, oh, how they blew that game on Saturday. Should have been a profitable week, but it wasn't. Oh, well, that is why you shouldn't bet on football or just have a short memory and get right back to it. So here we go. The Pac-12, they're going to return this week. That's my destination for the first pick this week, and that will be in Eugene where Stanford faces Oregon. Oregon, a 10-point favorite. That spread is just way too high for me, especially first game of the season in the Pac-12. I'm not sold on Oregon being the best team in the conference, at least not to bet them as a 10-point favorite in the opening weekend. The Ducks have a brand new offensive line. They have an unproven quarterback. They have some major question marks in the secondary. I also think this is a gross overreaction to how poorly Stanford played last year. They're going to have a much better team this year. If they didn't have the injuries last year, they would have been much more competitive last year as well. I expect this one to be a competitive game. And oh, by the way, the road doggy, 4-1 and one against the number in the last five meetings. This number is too high. I'll take Stanford plus 10. Over in the SEC, Texas A&M heads to South Carolina where they too are 10-point favorites. This is another spread that is way too high. South Carolina has had a week off to prepare. They always play better at home. A&M is talented. They're a top 10 team, but they don't have the kind of playmakers at receiver we typically see from them. And on the flip side, their secondary is a bit suspect. I got some really fun betting nuggets for you in this one too. Texas A&M, 2-5 against the spread in their last seven games. And how about this fun one? A&M does not like the number 10. They are 10-point favorites. It is week 10 of the season. 
A&M is 0-5 against their number in the last five games in week 10 of the college football season. And if it couldn't get any better than that, South Carolina is 5-0 against the number in their last five games played in week number 10. You do not want to go against that betting juju. That number is too high. Give me the Gamecocks plus the 10 points. Onward we go, Cincinnati, the sixth-ranked team in the country, the highest-ranked team from the group of five. They are undefeated, and they welcome the 2-2 Houston Cougars to a cold nipper stadium. Cincinnati has been so impressive lately, especially if you look at their last two games. They beat SMU, they beat Memphis by a combined score of 91-23. to Everyone keeps pointing out to how great this Cincinnati defense is, but their offense is pretty darn good too. And oh, by the way, Houston, they just gave up close to 700 yards of offense last week to UCF. Their two losses, they lost by 23 to UCF and 17 to BYU. Ouch. Betting numbers, they favor Cincinnati in a big way here too. Cincinnati has covered the number in seven of their last 10 against Houston. They are six and two against the spread in their last eight games. Cincinnati wins this one comfortably. Give me the 13 and a half points. And my lock of the week, they are America's darling. They won us some money last week too. Give me the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. 18-point favorites at home in beautiful Conway, South Carolina against the South Alabama Jaguars. That precious teal field will be glowing under the lights on ESPNU on Saturday night. Coastal Carolina's quarterback, Grayson McCall, he comes back last week against Georgia State and they torch them 51 to nothing. They were three-and-a-half-point favorites and they won 51-0. to zero. South Alabama. Their opponent this week, they are 3-for-3 three three on the season, but the collective record of the three teams they beat, 2-19. and 19. Coastal Carolina is 5-1 and one against their number in their last six games. Blowout City. Chanticleers. Let's go, baby. 18 points. Coastal Carolina, they are my lock of the week. Here we go. Red 29. And now for the game that matters most on Saturday, the 23rd Michigan Wolverines, 1-1 on the season, head to Bloomington to face the undefeated 2-0 and 13th-ranked Indiana Hoosiers. We've got a noon kickoff with the game airing nationally on Fox Sports 1. Joe Davis and Brock Heward on the call. You can also catch the game on the Learfield IMG College Michigan Football Radio Network with Jim Brandstander and Dan Deerdorf. This will be the 69th meeting between Michigan and Indiana. Michigan with a 59-9 advantage in the all-time series. If you're keeping track at home, that's 86.8% win percentage for Michigan against the Hoosiers. They've won 24 straight games against Indiana and 30 of the last 40. Michigan's last loss to Indiana was in 1987. That was a really good year for Indiana. That was the last time Indiana was ranked this high. They were number 11 that year in the AP poll. Now, Memorial Stadium has been nice to Michigan. Michigan is 19-1 when playing on the road here against Indiana. 11 wins in a row. That aforementioned 1987 game was their only setback at that stadium when they lost 14-10. 
This is also going to be the fourth time that both teams face each other as ranked opponents. Michigan lost that game in 1987, but has won those games in 1968 and 1988. So Michigan with a 2-1 and advantage when both teams are ranked. Now, if you're betting this game, Michigan is 8-4 and four against the number in their last 12, while Indiana is 9-3 and three in that same period. Maybe points are the better way to go. The total has gone over in six of Michigan's last seven games on the road, and the total has gone over in six of Indiana's last nine games. Michigan is a three-point favorite, and the total is 55 and a half. Big game for both teams on Saturday. Indiana looking to go to 3-0 and and end this massive losing streak to Michigan, while this instantly becomes a must-win for Michigan after failing as a three-touchdown favorite to Michigan State last week. I expect Michigan to get it done in this game, and here's why. Indiana's 2-0 start is a bit misleading. If you've watched their two games this year, you'll understand where I'm going with this. In that 2-0 start, they have had absolutely no running game to speak of. Their offensive line is banged up. They rank 100th in the country right now. And their 279 total yards per game, not that much. That's ninth worst in college football. So that means Indiana's best shot to win this game will be attacking through the air with Penix, getting the ball to his pass catchers like Wap Villier and Ty Freifogel. Now I get that that sounds scary based on what Michigan State did to Michigan last week. But the reason Michigan State was able to do that to Michigan was because they got a huge effort and great play from their offensive line. And Indiana's offensive line, as I noted, near the bottom in the country. When Michigan gets to the quarterback, good things happen. Michigan did that to Minnesota, and we saw how that played out in a big way. Indiana is not as talented as Minnesota offensively, so I'd expect Michigan to bring a lot of pressure off of the edge and try to get to Penix. And then for Michigan offensively, the key area of strength for them in this game is their ability to run the ball. Indiana has a good secondary, but they haven't showed much in their front seven at any point this year. That's led to Indiana allowing 185 rushing yards per game. Michigan has the most depth and production from their running backs. This is a whole different game if we're talking about Indiana being you know, multidimensional offensively and then defensively being able to get the running game bottled up and get to the quarterback. Indiana allows a lot of rushing yards per game. Their strength is in the secondary, but their strength is not good in the front seven. And Michigan has the most depth and production from their running backs. These are the kinds of games that Michigan's offense have lately had their way in, especially on the ground running the football. So this should be and could be a really good bounce back game for the Michigan offensive line, given what Indiana has shown so far on defense in their front seven through their first two games. Michigan has more talent than Indiana. However, Michigan underperformed last week with that talent because they didn't execute and the game plan the coaching staff laid out was terrible. No doubt, the coaching staff is feeling the pressure since the time they walked off the field on Saturday, and I would hope and expect that the coaching staff is going to put together a better game plan for Michigan to dial up against the Hoosiers on Saturday. This has all the makings of one of those get-right games for the Wolverines coming at the right time in their season before what could be a very tough game against Wisconsin next week if that game gets played. And this isn't a knock on Indiana. This is a good football team. 
But at least on paper, it seems Michigan should have more advantages in this game than Indiana has, especially running the ball and especially in their ability to get to Michael Penix Jr. Final score, Michigan 35, Indiana 24. That will do it for this week's edition of Hail to the Pod. Thanks so much for tuning in. As always, you can tweet me at krich23. You can email the show at hailtothepod at gmail.com. And don't forget to download and subscribe to the podcast anywhere your favorite podcasts are found, including Google Play, Apple iTunes, and Spotify. Enjoy the game this Saturday. And as always, go Blue.